Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, the legislature is winding down. The candidate filing period is wrapping up, and that means the election season is right around the corner. So we're continuing our interviews with candidates on the May 17th primary ballot. And this week, we talked to Scott Bedke, a Republican running for lieutenant governor. Bedke, of course, is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Had a chance to talk to him about his campaign and about the 2022 session. Here's what he had to say. Well, Speaker Bedke, thank you for taking time this week to join us on the podcast. I want to talk about your, your campaign, but also talk a little bit about this legislative session. But let's start with the campaign. Why this office? I mean, the lieutenant governor's powers are fairly limited and fairly restricted to what the governor allows the lieutenant governor to do. So, so why this job? Well, I have, uh, I've been very involved in, in, in creating, arguably, the best state of the union to live, to work, and to raise a family over the last uh, you know, years. And uh, as Idaho's longest-serving speaker, I, I'm very possessive of our, of our state and its success. And I think that, uh, that we need to have a team that leads the state. A lieutenant governor uh, can extend the reach of the governor. It is a big job. There's a lot of things to do. I, I work well with uh, three governors. And I think I can continue that as a, as a lieutenant governor. Idaho, we need to lo- always be looking outside of our boundaries uh, to sell our products, to be, you know, so I, I, see, I see the lieutenant governor being an ambassador for the state. I see the, the lieutenant governor being a problem solver, being uh, a fireman, if you will, being sent to uh, hot spots and to, and to get into, uh, into solving you know, problems and, and uh, facilitating the discussion on solutions. And I think that's been my forte through the years anyway, and look forward to doing that again. What would be your top priority, knowing that those priorities are going to be somewhat set by whoever winds up elected governor? Well, I, I, I think that well, Idaho is at a crossroads. And uh, there's there going to be increased competition for every drop of water in the Snake River and every drop of water in the Boise River. There's going to be competition for every uh, every lane mile out on our roads and our bridges. There's going to be you know need for uh, you know for more schools, etc. As Idaho grows, I mean we've we've been discovered, and there and we're not going back. And so I think that that's going to take the type of leadership, uh, the type of problem-solving skills that, that I have demonstrated through the years uh, to face these, these, these good issues, I guess you could say, these good problems that, that lie before us. I've, got, uh, I've been very involved in, in transportation and all the transportation packages that we've done through the years, uh, also in, in education, also in tax policy, and also in all of the natural resource type issues. And I have an ability and a, and a track record of bringing the right people into the room and getting, and once we describe point B, uh, I'm, I, I, have a, I have a track record of being able to get to point B. Uh, it's the description of the problem, it's the framing of the problem that, that takes everybody's you know, uh, efforts. But when we, once we define the problem, there are there are people there are skill sets in our state to help solve those things and then and then with the, my experience in the legislature then you then it has to fit politically and I think that that's that's uh, if I've had success it's because I've employed the, that uh, approach that I just described. 
You've made no secret of your your working relationship with Governor Little. If you're elected and Governor Little is not reelected, how does that affect your job and your approach and your role? Well, again, it, it, my approach to uh, any elected office is after the election is over, we work for the we work for our constituents. In this case, it would be the people from uh, the entire state of Idaho, not just the, the citizens of the Magic Valley. And so I can work and I've proven that I can work with most anyone. And uh, and I think that's what Idahoans expect of, it would expect of their elected official. They have spoken. The election's over. Now go do your job. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would view it. You touched a little bit on education, and I want to loop back to that, obviously. You, you talked about growth and the pressure that that's going to place on all kinds of infrastructure, including schools, including school facilities. Right. Is that the biggest issue facing education in Idaho right now? Um, I, I think that there are several. Uh, number one, the most important thing, you know, I'm a grandfather of 14 kids at this point. Uh, nearly all of them are in the public school schools, the ones that are not, their mothers wish that they were, <laughs> they're still at home. And so uh, we all know that, you know, so I'm absolutely invested in Idaho schools being successful. And that starts with a motivated, qualified teacher. You know, so uh, we've got to make investments back in our in our teachers. We got to have good teachers in every classroom, re- uh, classroom regardless uh, of the amount of technology is in the classroom that is we have to have a good teacher in every classroom and so it starts there and so that's all about if i'm going to uh it doesn't matter what business we're in our best asset is our is our employees and uh, you have to make investments in your employees uh, to make businesses thrive and that's the same with schools I think we've taken large steps this year in, in improving that situation for teachers with the, you know, trying, you know, uh, approaching parity on health insurance and benefits. Uh, that's all to the good. And, and arguably, in my opinion, it's years too late. But uh, we're here. And, uh, and as, we, as we look forward, infrastructure, both hard, if you will, and soft in the uh, in people and in the school systems, that those are going to be our challenges going forward. As you know, as Idaho continues to grow, we're the fastest growing state, both population-wise and economically. And I think it's it's incumbent upon us to make wise investments back into our school system. We can, uh, you know, we got to coordinate. Obviously, I think this will be another thing that I would bring to the office is we got to coordinate back with school districts, back with parents. We've got to keep them absolutely involved in curriculum choices and, you know, and, and, and that part of the world, but at the same time, and then fitting all of that within a budget. And uh, that's, that's what uh, has made, you know, if I've been successful as the speaker and as a state legislator is because I followed that, that, you know, we solve, we, we frame the problem, uh, we get a solution, we put a price tag on it, and then go try to make it fit in the political, uh, in the in the politics that happens across the street in the in the capital. And that will not change uh, if I'm the lieutenant governor, or uh, from what I've done for the last uh, ten years as as Idaho speaker. You touched on the. Uh 
school employee insurance plan, which you've supported already on, on the House floor. Yes. What about the other pieces of this equation that are coming in the education budget bills? Uh, the two rounds of pay raises under the career ladder, including using some federal funding to accelerate that, the teacher bonuses. Are you on board with all of those uh, proposals? Yes, yes, I am. Uh, I, I think uh, you know, it's been called, we have a, we've hit the trifecta this year in Idaho. We'll be able to make major investments back into our schools, back into our road systems, and at the same time, uh, give a, a, you know, give historic tax cuts to Idahoans. I think it's all indicative of, uh, of our great economy here. Uh, many predicted that we would be taking, you know, that there'd be at least a mild recession in Idaho, and we've seen just the, exactly the opposite. And all the economic activity, the can-do attitude that Idahoans always display has found its way back through our, all that economic activity has found its way back through our tax system and, and back into the treasury. Uh, thus, the, the surplus that we have uh, when we ended last year's fiscal, you know, when we closed the books last year, and it looks like when we close them this year, that we'll, we'll have another big chunk of, uh, of cash. Now, the difference between a surplus and cash reserves are that the surplus has not been realized yet. And so uh, we throw the word surplus around as if it were cash money ready to spend today, but right. it, it's not it's, quite. It's got, we've got to close the books at the end of the fiscal year. So we'll see how it looks on the 1st of July, but if present trends continue, continue, we're in very good shape as a state. And so we've got to make careful investments back in, in our state. Uh, I, I agree with what the governor's proposed on paying off all of the debts that we possibly can. You know, that's the same as it is in a, in a household budget. If you pay off your car, that frees up money in your, in your monthly budget. And so his proposing that and the legislature agreeing, uh, I think is, is going to pay dividends down the road. Uh, fixing things that we, have, that we haven't fixed, you know, taking care of all of the, the list of things on our on their state-owned buildings. All of those things will, will uh, reduce expenditures for uh, the you know the coming generations, and so that's all to the good. And we're in a and we're in a unique place to be able to do that. An education topic that's been close to your heart for several years is the funding formula. We're going to see more. Dis well, we've seen discussion of it already in the House in terms of trying to go to more of uh, an enrollment-based model. We're still talking about that, <laughs> you know, after years of discussion in an interim committee, two years into a pandemic. Are you surprised that it's taken this long to get to this point and that it's taken a pandemic to, to get well, you there? I'm frustrated that it's taken this long uh, because, but, you know, I, and, and I hope that, uh, I mean, this year it's going to boil down to a, you know, whether or not you have the money to, to shift on a permanent basis to enrollment away from attendance. And uh, both both attendance, the attendance model and the enrollment model have uh, you know, pros and cons, let's put it that way. And so I, you know, that, that's a discussion that, is, that, is, that we'll still have coming. I understand the need to, to base it on enrollment because if you're a business manager at a school district, you need to know what you know. You need to know what your budget is, and uh, and sometimes the attendance 
you know, is, is more, uh, more of a fickle number. Uh, but anyway, if we go back to revamping the whole system, as, as I have been a proponent of, then we are not then we're not doing all the work around so i mean title 33 <laughs> and just sit down and try to read that and, and uh you and it's not all that transparent i mean well it's transparent if you if you bring a lot of institutional knowledge to it but the workarounds that are in there uh you know make it hard to budget and so now the the effort is seems to have stalled and probably for good reason because they're because we come, it works here, but oh look, it doesn't work in this other area. It doesn't work as well as if we wanted it to out at CTE, which is a major area of, you know, we're, we're experiencing a lot of success. There's a lot of growth there. And so, you know, again, if we just, <laughs> I am totally invested in our kids' success and in, in having successful schools uh, here in Idaho. Where, however we fund them, whatever we do, I, I bring the institutional, some of the institutional knowledge on how we got here, and I've been an author of some of the workarounds because you just do what you got to do that that uh, at the time. But anyway, so uh, it, it kind of remains to be seen. Obviously, this is maybe an issue where we would need to. There needs to be a working group uh, that a future lieutenant governor may, may chair. Let's talk a little bit about higher education. Uh, the past couple of sessions, you've presided over the House floor when, when we've had really, you know, strident debate over higher education funding. Do the do the opponents have a valid point when they question the politics of higher education, and do the legislators who are concerned about the tone of the debate, uh, the message that it's sending to students and to the business community, do they have a valid point? I mean. Well, everybody from their perspective is <laughs> is absolutely right. I mean, and and so therefore, I guess they have valid points because they are all, you know, part. You know, I, I've never been able to to uh, uh, control what the various parts of the state, you know, who the who that who was sent to the legislature. So there there are all of these perspectives. There's all of these these different viewpoints. And, but our job, but there's not one of us that thinks that that we sh that Idaho shouldn't have a strong higher education system. Now, what is taught there and how it's taught and, and all like that, we get out into all of these various discussions. But I don't think the discussion that has hurt us. Uh, yeah, has it been uncivil sometimes? Yeah, they, you know, I I cringe at times, but. I, I do think that it is uh, that it has been on balance healthy. I think that I predict that it will happen again this year, and I think that at the end, that our our system of higher education here in the state will be well and adequately funded, and that includes the community colleges, that includes the CTE programs that are both in the high schools and at the community colleges. Uh, I think that. Uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see. But again, uh, no one has led their life or tried to influence the life of their kids and grandkids in a more, more pro-education way than I have mine. And uh, higher ed, education after high school is absolutely critical. Are you personally concerned, though, about higher education and the the politics of higher education? Do you, do you, think, uh, do you think there's validity to those uh, criticisms? 
Well, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that there, there is some reason to be concerned, but it is, but the, but the issues that uh, are brought up, I don't think are as widespread as some would have us believe. And I think that we'll work through them again this session. Uh, Bill, I have to ask you about, because it's so timely, it came up on Monday afternoon, was House Bill 60, 666. This was the bill pertaining to harmful materials in libraries uh, that could potentially have uh, librarians facing po- prosecution, school employees facing prosecution. You weren't on the House floor for that. Uh, what's your position on that bill? I had to be gone uh, then, is true. Uh, I was exposed to the material that that came from the library, or reportedly came from the library. The super and secret the, folder that's... Well, it, the, the, you can call it secret, you can, but it's more uh, aptly described as sensitive and adult content, over-the-top adult content. And if that's available in the adolescent or the or the kids section of a library, it's probably inappropriate. Uh, and uh, I, you know, whether or not the the remedy, uh, no. But but again, uh, you know, this has been an age old problem in libraries and in public schools and what what is proper, what is not. I saw that material. I call it improper. Uh, and uh, and I don't think that it should be in our public library. Would you have voted for this bill and this remedy? <clears throat> yes, I would have. Uh, there are things about the remedy that I did not like, but I would have voted for it. Okay. This session has really maybe highlighted some of the differences within the Republican caucus, within the House Republican caucus. You've dealt with a good deal of pushback from conservatives in your caucus, and, and obviously your your opponent is aligned with conservatives in that caucus. Do you feel like this session has been a microcosm of the primary election? Well, maybe in some ways. Um, I stand for getting things done. I stand for moving ahead, tempered by my uh, my conservative values. I, I, I believe, I, you know, I will not be defined by others when it comes to that. I believe that, uh, again, I approach everything in a problem-solving mode. I'm, I'm not all about the rhetoric. I, get re- I, I try to get results, and I believe that I've gotten results. And I think that, that's, that if that's a microcosm of what will be uh, coming, then I think Idaho is well-positioned to have a leader that gets results, and at the same time, uh, reflecting our collective values as we do that. Now, this is not about just uh, rhetorical uh, positions. You know, people want to. You can you can make a statement or you can make a difference. And I have always known the difference between the two. And I believe I've made a difference. It's been a different process for you these past few months, running for statewide office as opposed to running in the Magic Valley for for a house seat. How? What have you learned along the way as a candidate for statewide office mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a local I've legislative I've learned that candidate. Idahoans value education. They want to protect their natural resources. They want to wisely use their natural resources. I think that Idahoans are concerned about the same thing that 
you know, they're concerned about pocketbook issues. They want us to wisely spend their taxpayer dollars. They do not want to be taxed more uh, than, than is needful. I think all Idahoans understand the, the need for a proper role of government and are okay with keeping up with cost of living type increases on the, in the government sector as well. What they do not like is, is our misspending it. They do not like incivility. They do not like their, their, their leaders uh, squabbling and fighting amongst themselves. You know, that's one thing. <laughs> we want to stop right there. I will never embarrass our state as, uh, as the lieutenant governor. That's just not what we do. We are elected to go do a job. We go do the job. It's not about self-aggrandizement. And, uh, but that's what, as I'm out on the, on the campaign trail, that's what I hear. And it doesn't matter whether we're up in the, the northern part of our state or the south part or the eastern or the southwestern. It's all, you know, people are people. They, they're all struggling uh, to get ahead uh, and some, in some level within their spheres. And they're worried about pocketbook issues they they're worried about uh, their schools they want their kids to get well ed educated to be able to go out and compete in the world uh, they're worried about the retirement uh, they're worried about inflation and how that is eroding their spending power those are the things that idahoans are, are worried about at this point uh, as far as i can tell kind of like you and me those are the things that that uh, in our in our businesses in our lives those are the things we're concerned about before I leave it there, I, I do have to follow up. I mean, you, you've talked about your approach to, lieutenant, to the job of lieutenant governor versus the, uh, the current lieutenant governor's job, approach to the job. Do you think the party should have gone further in addressing uh, Janice McGeehan's uh, recent appearance? You know, another thing I, I, I think Idahoans are for fairness. I don't think that they are racist. They are, they are they all, this, all of that. Well, let me just put it this way. <laughs> you know, I would not have participated in that conference uh, in person or via Zoom I, I, or a recording. I, I would not have. Uh, I think it's divisive, and it doesn't it doesn't put our our state in a in a good light. And it, and uh, I just would not have done that. Well, Speaker Bedke, we covered uh, the ground I wanted to cover. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on. Well, you're always welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Again, that was Scott Bedke, the Speaker of the House of Representatives and a Republican candidate for Lieutenant Governor. We have reached out to State Representative Priscilla Giddings, who's also running on the Republican ticket for Lieutenant Governor. I uh, haven't heard back. If she uh, consents to an interview, we'll have her on in the next few weeks. I want to take a point of personal privilege here for a second. It's something kind of fun in the Senate Education Committee meeting on Wednesday. People who testified on bills and committee members talked about their third grade teacher. And a lot of folks could remember the name of their third grade teacher. And as I sat covering the uh, meeting, I was kind of glad I wasn't having to testify. I was glad I was just an observer because I cannot for the life of me remember the name of my third grade teacher. Uh, I got through third grade, I remember that much, but I can't remember my teacher's name. But Melinda Edwards, Doc Ed, now that's a name I do remember. She was my uh, choir director in high school, and she was the teacher who changed my life. Um, 
choir was not just an extracurricular, it wasn't just singing for a period. That was kind of the center of my universe in high school. Most of my friends were in concert choir. I spent a lot of my free periods in the choir room. That's where I ate lunch most days because I wanted to hang out with my friends who were in the choir. That was my tribe. That was my, that was my place. And I think Doc Ed recognized that she was doing more than just putting together a choir. She was putting together a community within the school, which is so important in high school. You need your place. You need your space. And she recognized that she was providing that. She taught us a lot. She taught us a lot about music. And anybody who teaches music knows that when you teach music, you're teaching math, you're teaching history. So many other disciplines get folded into music. And she instilled in me a lifelong love of choral music. I mean, I'm 40 years later, I sing now with the Boise Philharmonic Master Chorale. That began with Doc Ed, who I still stay in touch with a little bit on Facebook uh, all, all these years later. And I guess that gets to the point of what Senate Education was doing on Wednesday, kind of underscoring that one teacher can make a big difference in somebody's life. And it certainly did with me. That'll wrap it up for the podcast this week. Um, very busy week. Obviously, at the legislature, Blake Jones and I have daily updates from the State House. We'll continue to have daily updates from the State House as the session continues next week. We're probably a couple of weeks away from adjournment. We'll be there till the end. Today, Friday, um, March 11th, as we record this podcast, this is the filing deadline for the uh, 2022 elections. We'll have a complete rundown of the filings. And we'll have any other news that breaks next week uh, regarding education policy and education politics, we will have it for you at idahoheadnews.org. Follow us there. Follow us on Twitter at idahoheadnews. We uh, tweet out links to our latest stories, bulletins on breaking news. Follow us on Facebook. Comment on our stories there. And come back next week for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week. Have a good week.